there was an old man of God who was musing about growing up. He said the best thing about going over to eat at somebody else's house was when we were sitting there and most of the meal was about done, and the hostess would look at us and say, keep your fork. He knew what that meant. He knew that that meant dessert, what's on its way. The best is yet to come. And I would say that's the same thing about salvation. You know, we're having a pretty good meal. But you know what? The best is yet to come. Keep your fork, folks. It just gets better and better. This morning we're going to talk about how great salvation is. This message is sometimes known as the golden link of redemption, the five riches of salvation. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 8 in just a moment. I had to laugh as I was reading this week about uh, someone who was thinking about heaven. You know, it's going to be an awesome day when we get to heaven, and for some, sooner than we think. A lady was uh, having surgery for a heart attack. And while she was there, she, uh, this middle-aged woman had a vision of God by her bedside. She said, will I die? And God says, no, you have 30 more years to live. Oh, boy, with that, she, uh, 30 years to look forward to, she decided to make the best of it. Since she was in the hospital, she decided to get liposuction, a tummy tuck, hair transplants, and collagen injection in her lips. Boy, she looked great, and she knew it. The day she was discharged, she exited the hospital with a swagger, crossed the street, and was immediately hit by an ambulance and killed. Up in heaven, she sees God, and she says, you said I had 30 more years to live. That's true, said God. Well, what happened? God shrugs, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> well, I hope God recognizes you and I, amen? I know He will, and the best is yet to come for sure. Let's now bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for this beautiful truth that's found in Romans 8, and I just can't wait, Lord, to share it with my brothers and sisters. I pray that, Lord, Holy Spirit, You will just gather every mind together so that we walk out of here just so blessed at having a God like you and a salvation as we do. In Christ's name, amen. Romans chapter 8, if you would, please, and let's go to verse 28. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, you can look at it in your Bible there or open your phone or your iPad or whatever, or you can look up here, and let's read it together, a very familiar passage. Let's read verse 28 together, all right? Let's read it uh, with gusto, all right? Like, you know this verse, all right? Let's read it together. Ready? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. How many times have we received some joy from this verse, just some en encouragement that things are working out, somehow God is putting this together. 
And when properly understood, this verse is an amazing source of comfort. However, some think this verse means everything is good. It's all good, people sometimes say. Uh, Let me just tell you, that is an absolute lie. It's not all good. And putting that thought on this verse is minimizing the pain of suffering and evil. And if you've ever suffered so much, or if you've been in pain, you know the, the trite feeling that when people say, it's all good, it'll turn out good. But that's not what this verse is actually saying. This verse is saying, all things can work together if you know these next two things, these next two verses. If you know these five steps, these five links of salvation, then all things really can work together. You'll see it. It's a big picture. And so let's go to verse 29, if you would, and let's read verse 29 together. Ready? For whom he did foreknow, he did all predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, it's very obvious that the writer here, the Apostle Paul, is putting something together. God, this is not just a lot of, you know, big words that have a past tense sense to them. He's telling us something here. And what he's telling us, and he's promising us, is that he's got something amazing waiting for us. I Occasionally, I get these emails from Nigeria. If you got one, certainly you have. And they need someone to help because they've got an inheritance of 14 million. And if you'll help them, or whatever million, if you'll help them, they'll be happy to give you part of it because they don't have access to American banking and whatever. All we need to do is give them our bank account numbers and our information, and they will gladly deposit money into our account. Now, if any of you have ever fallen for that promise, I feel sorry for you. But I will tell you that any of us who build our hope around a promise like that, we are in for some serious disappointment. But today's promise, God said, I've knew about you, I predestined you, I called you, I've glorified you. That promise is not an email from Nigeria, trust me. I believe when we go through this message, as a Christian, you're going to say, hallelujah, thank God for my salvation. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you're going to say, how can I get in on this? Man, this is amazing. And so let's talk about this that has been called the golden chain of redemption. Each one is a vital link. The best is yet to come. Keep your fork. Verse number 29, the first point is this, foreknown. The first uh, thing about our salvation is that we are foreknown by God. This is a great understanding of the wisdom of God. Now, our human wisdom is actually very limited. Even the brightest people who live are actually limited quite a bit. 
When they even do know something, it's usually after the fact. But God is unique in His wisdom in that He is omniscient. He knows things even before they happen. That makes Him supreme. And that's what this verse is talking about. Notice it talks about foreknowledge. Some people have knowledge after they learn something, and then they kind of put things together, and they can, you know, they're just amazing. They're very smart. But God knows things before they happen. The Greek word there is prognisko. It is very much like our English word prognosis. Now, what is a prognosis? When a human gives a prognosis, it is an educated guess. But with God, it is not a guess, although it's very educated, it's wise. Let's imagine a weatherman for a minute. A weatherman might say, you know, the weather's going to be this way or the weather's going to be this way. He gives a prognosis. They're usually right, but sometimes they're very wrong. And when they're wrong, especially when you've planned a picnic or planned an outdoor reception or something, oh my goodness, it is terrible and you hate the weatherman. Maybe you heard about the weatherman who had to leave one town and he had to go to another. That's because the weather didn't agree with him. Weathermen make prognosis and doctors make prognosis. You have a problem in your chest or your leg hurts or something, you go to talk to the doctor and he says, all right, let me examine you. So he gets out his stethoscope and they take your blood pressure and then they start tapping on you. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? No. Does this, ah, that hurts. And he'll answer, he looks at you and looks in your throat, looks in your ears. And then finally he said, uh, you're going to get better or, hey, I'm not sure about this. You're going to get worse. But for that doctor, it is only a prognosis. I heard about a doctor who said to a man, you've got a year to live. Examined him and said, you've got a year to live. That'll be $500. The man said, I don't have $500 to pay you. The doctor said, well then, okay, I'll give you another year to live so that you can have time to get that money to me. And, uh, but the fact is, weathermen make prognosis, don't they? Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Doctors make prognosis, but they're not wise like God. When God makes a prognosis, it is always right. And so in this verse, it's saying that God knew us. He knows who is his own. Last year, I believe it was, or maybe the year before that, I'm not sure if I remember exactly, but the Golden State Warriors won the NBA championship. We just happened to be in San Francisco for a little uh, day together the day after they won the championship. We did not put two and two together. We just knew there was all kinds of stuff going on. There were banners going up. There were people having a big time, and there was a parade. Now, we could see uh, cars. We could see trucks. We could see things going by one at a time, but that's all we could see. It was actually quite a parade, but all we could see is one thing at a time. Now, let's imagine for a moment that Pauline and I said, you know what, we'd like to see the whole parade. And so we got in, we, you can't get in now, but let's imagine that we got in that new Salesforce building, a thousand feet high. It's the highest building now in the San Francisco skyline. And one of our men actually is a crane operator up there. You can imagine. 
But that thing, a thousand feet up. Now, if we got up to the top of that Salesforce Tower, we'd be looking down at that parade, that Golden State Warriors parade. We'd be looking down, and we could see the beginning of the parade, and we could see the end of the parade. Why is that? Because our vantage point gave us some knowledge that others don't have. When you're on earth, when you're down on the ground, you can only see horizontal. You can see a few things at a time. But God's vantage point helped him to see history. That means this, that God who dwells in history sees the beginning, he sees the middle, and he sees the end all at one time. He foreknows everything. Therefore, you and I, every saved person, was in the heart of God before creation, before God called the light day and the darkness night. Before he said, let there be land in the midst of the sea. Before he said, let the earth bring forth grass and seed and fruit. Before he said, let's just put some stars up there. And let's put some planets over there. And let's put a solar system out there. Before any of that happened, I was in the heart and mind of God. He knew that one day I would repent of my sin. He knew that one day I would receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. The, golden, the first golden link of salvation is the foreknowledge of God. And it is intricately intertwined with the wisdom, the wonderful wisdom of God. That means, folks, I'm not at some cosmic accident. God of the universe has been thinking about me. I'm saved. I've, God knew who would be saved. Be, based on his foreknowledge... What an unbelievable thing to know that God cares about me. So, foreknown talks about the wisdom of God. Second of all, predestined. This speaks of the will of God. The second glorious fact about our salvation is that God predestined us. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, when God predestines some things to happen nothing's going to stop it. When God says this is going to happen, it's going to happen. All hell can't stop it. No way. God said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now you'd say, well, does that mean that some people are predestined to go to heaven and some people are predestined to go to hell? Is that what that was talking about? Absolutely not. The Bible is abundantly clear. Any man or woman who wants to be saved can be saved. And there are few doctrines more chilling to the cause of Christ, and may I say unloving, even hellish, than the concept that God created people just so that he could send them into hell. That is an absolute hellish doctrine. Now let me give you some scripture to put that kind of crazy concept to rest. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you would please, verse 3. This is good and acceptable, not bad and terrible. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Did you hear that? Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave, verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for some people. 
No. What does that verse say? Who gave himself a ransom for who? All. Jesus died for all people. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men uh, are slack or count slackness, but is long-suffering, hallelujah, for his long-suffering. How many of us would have already been in hell if God hadn't had mercy? Not willing, what? That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, it's not God's will that anybody go to hell. You'd say, well, well, then why did people go to hell? Because God's will is not always done on earth. It, I wish it was. I wish that everybody did right. I wish everybody followed the Lord, but it doesn't happen that way. Now, someday it's going to be that way, but for now, people have a choice. You can either go to heaven or hell. The fact is, if a person goes to hell, never blame God. You can blame yourself. By the way, you can't blame your parent. You can't same, blame some. A religious group that, you know, made, messed up your brain or some pastor who was mean to you or whatever. The fact is, the Bible says every one of us will stand before God ourself. Individually, your mama won't be there, your daddy won't be there, your brother won't be there, your pastor won't be there. We have a responsibility to serve God on our own. And so people say, well, I don't understand then. How, how, is, how is the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, how does that work together? I mean, how, how can they, they seem like opposite truths, but they're not actually. They are mutual truths. They're not enemies, but friends. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's how it works. God ordained that sovereignty that the free will of man is what it takes to be saved. Ordination, foreordination, God's wisdom, and man's opportunity to be saved. The fact is, the Bible says, whosoever will, verse 17 of Revelation chapter 22, chapter 22 says, whosoever will may come. Verse 29 then says, God predestined people. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. You say, well then, if God is not predestining some to hell, and some to heaven, what is this predestination then? Well, the predestination here is not speaking about the lost. It's speaking about saved people. How do I know that? Look at the rest of the verse. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of His Son. Lost people can't be conformed to the image of His Son. God's predestination is that every person who is saved he, he is, they are going to be like Jesus someday, some later than sooner, and some sooner than later, but thank God, God said that he wants us to be predestined to hit just like his son. Notice what it says, the last part of that verse, it says that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God the Father only had one son, that's God the Son. He loved his son, Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Never sinned, always done right. He was so proud of his son. He wanted more sons. That's what this verse says. The firstborn of many brethren. God wants many little Jesuses in heaven. And so then God says, here's my plan. I, from the foundation of the world, I knew who would accept me. 
from the foundation of the world, I then predestined that one to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And God said, I'm going to make them that way. They're like little diamonds in the rough, and diamonds are not very in the rough are not very good to look at, but if you begin to chisel it and then saw it and you begin to hammer it, and God's holding the hammer, and that's what He does with us. Sometimes we're thinking, why is He doing this to me? Well, it's just pain, and God's just chopping off some of the rough parts of this diamond, making another facet. I'm 62 years old here in a few weeks, uh, March 18th, mark it down, and um, for 62 years, the Lord has been hammering me and hammering me. I don't know how many facets I have, but I hope I'm sparkling more for the Lord than I was 60 years ago. And that's what God does. God sends trials not to impair us, but to improve us. God brings us to the point where we are like His Son. And so that's what the Bible says. God said, it's settled. That's it. Someday. Tim is going to be just like Jesus. Predestined then is for the saved man. Here's what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him as he is. Know it. Notice what it says. I know this to be true. I know that God is just bringing me into the conformity of his son. And he is bringing me to that point. One man was trying to figure out whether he wanted to be in the group that believed and you were called, or whether he wanted to be in that group that felt like, you know, you came of your own free will. And so there was a meeting, and one group was emphasizing free will on one side of the room, and the other side of the room, there was a group that was emphasizing the sovereignty of God. This guy was standing between both groups. He was torn. I don't know which to do. Should I go to the people who believe in the sovereignty of God, or should I go to the people who believe in the free will of man? He said, well, I got to be in one camp or the other. And so he went over to the one group of theologians, and he uh, said, I think I'll be with you folks. And they said, well, uh, why did you come? He said, well, I came of my own free will. He said, well, if you came of your own free will, you can't be here. You got to go to that group over there. So he went over to that group that believed in free will. And uh, he said, I'm going to join you. And they said, well, why are you here? He said, they sent me from over there. He said, well, if you're sent, you can't come over here. You have to come of your own free will. And so this poor guy, he didn't know what side he was on. He didn't, couldn't figure it out. And that's honestly what I find a lot of people today. And in America today, we have this big push, this new Calvinism push, where people are always talking about the sovereignty of God. And, you know, they somehow, if you, if you can choose to be saved, you're degrading the sovereignty of God. Not at all. I like what, how one person described it. And they said, you know, predestination is just like this. We came to Jesus. We came by walking through a gate. On the outside of that gate was inscribed these words, whosoever will may come. I saw those words. I walked through that gate. And as soon as I got through that gate, I looked back on the other side of that gate. I saw the words chosen from the foundation of the world. You see, that's what happens. We choose to serve God. We choose to hold on to God. And God is for God knows who's going to be saved because he's wise, and he predestines those who are saved 
to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the will of God. And then we're called. Look what it says in verse 30. Moreover, though he did predestinate, he also called. God seeks you. He calls you. He issues a summons. It's, well, I don't get it. Why doesn't calling at the beginning? That's because God knows who will be saved, and he then brings the gospel to those people. The call of God is an amazing thing. Some people say, well, I'm just waiting for God to call me. And when God calls me, I'll be saved. I meet people all the time. In as many words, will say something like that. Well, when God wants me, he can find me. He knows where to find me. They say, you know, I'll do this or I'll do this. But let me tell you something, folks. God is already calling. Other people think a calling is some emotional feeling. You know, it's when I get goosebumps and it's when I feel all fuzzy inside. No, that's not a calling. That's just, uh, that might be too much pizza. I don't know what that is, but that's not a calling. Other people say, I'm just waiting for God to call my name. If God called your name, you'd drop dead. You'd be so scared. That's not the way it works. You want to know what a calling is? I'll tell you what a calling is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. God said, he has called us by the gospel. Look at verse 14. He has called us by the gospel. That's the calling. Do you know what's happening here today? Today, God is calling each of you. You are here. God has called me to preach. He has set up this opportunity. I have the Bible here in front of me. You are hearing the Word of God. This is your calling. This is your calling. It is right before you. That's what's left for us to simply answer. I read a story recently of a pastor who went to Russia. And while he was there in Russia, he was out in a rural area and he was driving around a road there and he saw two shepherds come together with their sheep. And they just camped in the middle of the road. He couldn't believe it. He's like, I'm trying to get through here. But then he began to wonder, how in the world are those sheep going to ever be able to go the right way? I mean, they, there was several hundred sheep that one, several from one, several from the other, and they were all mixed up. So he just sat there wondering how in the world they're going to separate all those sheep. After the shepherds had uh, chatted for a few minutes, uh, all of a sudden, he heard the one shepherd in a very low voice saying some words in Russian, and he said, all of a sudden, those sheep just picked up their head, and they just followed him. And the one shepherd went off with his, and one shepherd went off with his. That's what the Bible says in John chapter 10. It says that the good shepherd calls, and they know their name. You know how you get saved? You get called, and those that are part of God's uh, shepherd, they, well, no, we hear that. We say, hallelujah, I'm following that. But the sad thing is people who follow the devil, they hear that voice. They heard that voice. That's their shepherd. Jesus said, you're either of your father, the devil, or of your father, God. It's one of the two. And those are two groups. Some are sheep and some are goats. He said in one place, you see, the calling is the gospel. People say, well, all, when God calls me, he's already called. The gospel is out there. We are foreknown by God. That's his wisdom. We are predestined by God. That's his will. We are called by God through his word. 
We don't need a voice from heaven. We have his word in our hand. And then we are justified. That's the work of God. Not my work, the work of God. Justified. It just keeps getting better, folks. Keep your fork. It just gets better. These are five beautiful links of a golden chain. Five riches of our salvation. Now, this is where God does the saving work. He calls by the gospel. That man answers the gospel call, and then he is justified. What is justified? Well, actually, from Scripture, it is the judicial act whereby God declares as righteous those who believe in Jesus Christ. You are declared legally, not just your uh, crime wiped off your record, but righteous. Just he puts upon your account the righteousness of Jesus. That's what it says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. It doesn't say he justifies those that stop smoking or stop drinking or stop carousing around. No, it says his faith is counted for righteousness. His faith is counted for righteousness. I read about a person the other day that opened a new bank account. And they had had the account for a few weeks. One day was checking their balance and looked at their balance. They had over a million dollars. They're looking at this. What, what in the world happened to my account? They were a millionaire. Well, the bank had made some mistake and put that money in their bank. And that person uh, was tempted to spend it, you know, and not, not tell the bank. Let me just tell you, the bank will find out. Okay, folks, don't, don't spend that money. But um, can you imagine, folks, that we, we've lived a certain way all our life, and we've have, we know how spiritually bankrupt we are? Wouldn't it be an amazing thing to look at our account and say, Pew, man, look at that, I'm a zillionaire. God has put all this righteousness on my account. He put the righteousness of Jesus on my account, and it's not a mistake, and he's not going to take it back. God said that I have got a righteousness. I've been justified. Now, folks, I'm telling you what, that's amazing. That's what it says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, not by works of righteousness are you justified, but by his mercy, by his grace. And that is the one thing that I can tell you about our trip to Thailand. Honestly, after two weeks, I was so burdened. Every day it just kept building in me. I was like, oh, my goodness, you people, poor people. Poor, precious people, very gracious people, very kind people. Uh, just, I mean, it's strange. Rarely hear a horn. It's not like other countries, not like New York or Lodi. They honk at you. Rarely hear a horn. They, it's their culture to never be visibly upset. And it's their culture to, they, they bow very deeply and they, they give you a prayer. You know, they, everybody greets you like this, Sawadi. And it's a greeting saying, you know, I, uh, you know, you have my heart. And they're basically saying, you have my heart. I, I pray for you. And yet they have, yet beneath that outward surface is this desperate hope, just trying to please Buddha. There are signs everywhere. Give to Buddha, earn merit. Pray to Buddha, earn merit. I saw the word merit all over. And I thought, oh my goodness. Here are all these people. And the Buddhist priests walk around looking like a bunch of traffic cones, you know, with these, yellow, these big orange outfits on, you know. 
and uh, they walk around the neighborhoods. They don't ever preach. And the expectation is when you see the Buddhist priest, you're supposed to go give them money. So they walk up and down the streets, you know, and people don't really have any money anyway. And then they go out there. They try to earn merit. They send their kids to the temple. Signs everywhere, respect Buddha, earn merit for Buddha. I mean, I'm telling you what, Buddha is everywhere. I mean, you see them on every street. You see them on every house. They have these little spirit houses that if, if Buddha doesn't help you, they, they have these houses out in front that capture the bad spirits. And if you don't, almost every home has a spirit house that captures all the bad spirits. It's the land that is just, this just inundated with all these terrible thoughts. And, and they're all, they're, every one of them are trying to earn their way. Isn't it amazing that God said, I knew who would, save, who would be saved. I predestined you to become like Jesus. I called you with the gospel, and then I have justified you. I have put the righteousness of God on your account. That's an amazing thing. Thank God for the gospel. And then finally, God said, glorified. And that's the wonder of God. That last part of that verse 30 says, it doesn't say he will glorify us. Sometimes people say, boy, I'm so glad I'm saved because someday I'm going to have eternal life. Folks, I want to tell you, not someday you're going to have eternal life. You have eternal life right now. I am glorified. That is past tense. I am glorified. Folks, you are looking at a man today that God is already fellowshipping with in heaven. God's already fellowshipping with me. You know, when you have a baby, that baby is there in that womb, and before it's ever born, you're already thinking about it. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, we, we have twin girls coming, Nathan and Sarah, twin girls coming. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm so excited. I can't wait to see two little fat, chubby little girls with little dresses walking along, you know, and I'm already thinking, we will buy them this or we'll buy them that, you know. I mean, it's just exciting. I'm already having fun. I'm already feeding them sausage and coffee and uh, Pepsi. I'm already fellowshipping with them. It's just so much fun. I can't wait, man. It's just going to, I'm going to have hinky and binky in in each arm here, you know, and it's just going to be good. The fact is, God has already saved. He said, I've saved, I knew you before the foundation. Before I ever flung a star into the sky, I was already, I was already enjoying my, your salvation with you. Unbelievable. Foreknown, predestined to be like Jesus, called by the gospel, righteousness put on my account, justified, and then glorified. That doesn't mean we can sin and get away with it without somehow having God takes us to the woodshed. Read the little article I put in the bulletin there. You can kind of get a thought of that. But the fact is, whom God justifies, he glorifies. It's already a done deal. That's one of the great reasons why I believe in the eternal security of the believer. I am, people say, can you lose your salvation? I'm already in heaven. How can I, I'm not going to, you're not going to kick me out. It doesn't have work that way. He's all, I'm already glorified. You can't lose something you've already been given. God doesn't do that. That's not the way it works. D.L. Moody was an amazing evangelist of yesteryear in the 1800s. He 
was a citywide, in fact, regionwide, oftentimes statewide evangelist. People would come by the tens of thousands. There was a man who had been to a number of the evangelistic services held by Mr. Moody. But like so many, he postponed his decision. The last night of the revival services came, and he still just wouldn't come forward. Meeting was over. Peel was over. People going home. Crew was folding up the chairs, dismantling the platform. Mr. Moody was getting his stuff together and preparing to leave. And finally, the man realized if, if he was going to get this done, he better come now. And so he ran up to Mr. Moody and he said, just blurted out, Mr. Moody, what can I do to be saved? And Evangelist Moody looked at him and said, I'm sorry, sir, you're too late. Too late? What do you mean, Mr. Moody? The man's desperate now. And he said, how could I be too late? Surely I can't be too late. He said, yes, sir, you are. You're too late. In fact, you're 2,000 years too late. Because if you want to do something to be saved, it's not going to happen. Because everything that was needed to be done has already been done for you. Jesus Christ already did it all. He finished it. He finished it for you. But if you'd like to accept Jesus, you can do that right now. And he led him to Jesus Christ. Folks, we need to relax and revel and just rejoice in all that God has done for us. The golden chain of redemption. It just keeps getting better. Keep your fork. The best is yet to come. Would you pray?